Welcome to Meadowbrook Church, loving Jesus by loving people. For more information about who we are, find us online at www.meadowbrook.ca. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 12, if you would. Revelations 12. If you need a Bible, there's a Bible on the pew in front of you. It's page 1245 in that Bible. And we are continuing our series on spiritual warfare. We've called it The Good Fight. We have a booklet that goes along with this. If you want to go deeper than just Sunday mornings, you can buy these at the Hub. And it's just a way to take what we're learning on Sundays, make it very practical. We encourage you to jump into a life group uh, and, and take some time to discuss this with other believers if you can. And as we jump in today, we're talking angels and demons. Woohoo! Angels are good, demons are bad. Amen? Good. Let's close in prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's basically what I wanted you to get out of the morning, but I'm going to talk a lot longer. Good news for you guys. So we're talking angels and demons, and anytime you talk about a topic like this, there has to be a, a great big kind of elephant in the room that we need to acknowledge, which is just to say we don't know a lot necessarily. And we're talking about the invisible realm. And the invisible realm, by just definition, is something we can't see. And so we don't have as much information about it as we have about things that we can see and that we can test and, and experience in a very physical way. Now, that's not to say that the invisible doesn't break into the visible sometimes, and we'll talk about that today. But when it comes to angels and demons, we need to acknowledge that it's more than okay on this topic to say, I don't know, or I'm not sure. Uh, now, what we want to do today is look at what the Bible does say so that at least what Scripture tells us are things that we can be sure of and that can help us understand. And so we want to make sure that we're uh, not just in a general sense saying, well, it's mysterious, therefore I don't need to understand it, but to say it's mysterious, we acknowledge that, but what can we know and what do we know and what does that mean for us in our walk with Jesus? I'm going to show you a clip. Uh, it's from the movie It's a Wonderful Life, Christmas movie, because Christmas is coming, guys. It's coming coming on us quick. We're about two months away uh, as we get in today. And if you don't know the movie, most of you have probably seen it, but in It's a Wonderful Life, it's the story of an angel named Clarence who comes down from heaven and uh, moves to intervene in the life of a man named George Bailey who's thinking about taking his own life. And so Clarence comes as an angel to save him. Uh, and as we talk about angels and demons, we're wanting to see what does the Bible say compared to what does our culture say or what are sort of myths or urban legends that have grown up around what an angel or a demon is. We're wanting to break through all of that. So as we get ready to do that, take a look at this clip of an angel who's come to save George's life. So there's a bit of what Hollywood thinks about what an angel is, and uh, we want to talk about, is that true? Is there anything to that? There's a, a picture in that story of uh, a man who's died, who's seeking to become an angel, and he has to earn his wings, and he's a kind of guardian angel and overseeing George's life and is there to help. And what of that is true? What of that's not true? And so we're going to jump into our text. So we're in Revelation chapter 12. Take a look at it with me. We're in verse 7. We touched on this verse last week. And we're going to use it just to kind of jump off to a whole bunch of scripture today. And we're going to cover a fair amount of ground. So starting in verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And so we're going to engage again with a lot of scripture today, but 
Uh, we wanted to start there, because even if we take away nothing else from this message, there's this understanding from this passage that there is a realm that we don't see, and there is a war going on that we don't see. And so Michael is one of God's chief angels, Scripture says, and Michael and his angels are in a battle with the devil, and the devil has angels with him apparently as well. And so we're going to talk about what this looks like in terms of angels and demons. But just as we start off, it's just important to note there's such a key line in there that Satan rebels and his angels take on the throne of God, but Scripture says they were not strong enough, and they were cast down. And that's a good place to start. And when it comes to spiritual warfare, it's easy uh, to get fearful and, and confused and to worry about demons. But we start off at this point here, that Satan threw all he had at God's army, and he was not strong enough to do that. And he was cast down. So we begin warfare always from this place of victory and this understanding of that. You might remember a while ago, uh, back in the 80s, Frank Peretti wrote some books about spiritual warfare. Uh, the famous one was This Present Darkness, and then he had a follow-up called Piercing the Darkness. And these were novels that he wrote. They were fiction, uh, but they were sort of fictional accounts of Christians going through life. But there was also the added side of what was going on in the spiritual realm at the same time, and the warfare and the angels and the demons. And it's not a theology textbook by any means, but what it did do was it opened a lot of people's eyes. It sold millions of copies. And it just opened a lot of people's eyes to this idea that there is a realm that we don't see, and there are forces that are against us, and there are forces that are for us, and, and maybe we should be a bit more aware of that as we go about in our Christian journey. So we're going to take some time to look at what does the Bible say about angels and demons. We're going to start with angels. So the Bible, one of the names that Scripture gives to God is the Lord of hosts. And that word hosts is an old-timey word that meant army. So the Lord of armies. And when the Bible calls him the Lord of hosts or the Lord of armies, it's not talking about the armies of the earth. He's talking about the heavenly armies, the heavenly hosts, that there are apparently armies of angels at God's disposal that he has the ability to release and to, to influence things on earth. And so one of the names we worship God by is the Lord of hosts, the, the message translation of the gospel or of the Bible calls him the God of the angel armies, which is a pretty cool name. And so we worship that God who has armies of angels at his disposal. So when it comes to angels, do we worship them? Do we pray to them? Do we pray for them? Do we become them one day when we die? Uh, we're going to take a look at what Scripture has to say here. And, and sometimes Scripture gives us uh, just a nice little nugget, a nice clear definition of something. And Hebrews 1.14 is one of those. As it talks about angels, the writer says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? So if you had to summarize angels in one sentence, that's pretty good. That's not everything that an angel is, but angels are ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. And those who will inherit salvation are those who follow Jesus. And it's important just to pause here as we go through this warfare series and just acknowledge a couple of things. That's first of all, as we talk about uh, the victory that is won in Jesus, as we talk about pushing the darkness back, that is something, a blessing that is promised to those who follow Jesus. That for those who follow Jesus, who trust him as their Savior, who acknowledge him as Lord and who walk with him, for those who do that, his victory becomes our victory. 
Now, if we don't do that, and there are those of us here who are questioning or seeking, and that's okay. We're so glad that you're here and glad that you're asking those questions. But the promise of the blessing of victory comes to those who have put their trust in Jesus, and including the blessing of angels, apparently, sent to those who will inherit salvation, those who have trusted in Jesus and have submitted to him as Lord. Likewise, when it comes to demons, we're going to talk in a few minutes about, uh, about how to pray as we encounter demons, but the, the authority over demons comes to those who are trusting Jesus and following him as Lord. There's a story in the book of Acts of some people who are not Christians. Um, they go around and they're trying to drive out demons, and it doesn't go well for them. Uh, the demons attack them. It comes back on them. And so if you are here and you're just kind of in that seeking stage, uh, we're so glad you're here with us. And just the, the caveat of this message to you uh, is just don't go farther than maybe your understanding is. Don't go farther than you should. If you have questions, we're here to answer those questions. And we just want to kind of make that clear as we get going, that the victory belongs to those who are trusting in Jesus. And if you don't trust in Jesus, we are hoping that you will, because there is victory there as we do that. And darkness gets pushed back as we do that. So the angels are there to be on your side. The angels are there to minister to you. And even in the Gospels, there are stories of Jesus when Satan tempts him in the wilderness and Satan loses that fight and leaves, that angels came and ministered to him. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says an angel comes and strengthens him. And so as we're trying to kind of get our heads around this, this kind of abstract concept of angels, we go, well, Jesus needed them when he walked on this earth. He needed their support and their strength and their ministry to him. And so we can get a bit of a definition of what angels are from here. And we're just going to look at a few different scriptures as well. Angels are created beings, first of all. They are not God. Uh, they are not an extension of God. They are separate created beings. And that's important for us to know because we say we don't worship them then. We don't pray to them because we only worship God. We only pray to God. In the book of Revelation, there's a story of John the Apostle face to face with an angel. And John just gets so overwhelmed with the glory of God that he falls on his knees to worship. And the angel goes, no, get up, get up, get up, get up. We don't do that. No, no, you worship Jesus. So we don't worship angels, and we don't pray to angels. They are created beings. Scripture says that they are created a little higher than us uh, in kind of the order of power and authority. They're stronger than we are, and yet uh, we as humans are the ones who are beloved by God as the, the image bearers of God. And so angels are there to minister to us and to be on our side. They're created beings. Not only that, they're eternal beings. They were created, they have not been around forever, but they will be around forever. They were created, they've been around longer than us. Scripture says they were there when the world was being formed, and they will be there with God for all eternity. And so that's important to note as well, because that means that we don't become angels one day. Uh, they are eternal in themselves. They are created in themselves. They are their own thing. Uh, we will see Jesus one day, but we don't graduate to angelhood uh, like movies and things might have us believe. Uh, and there's certainly nothing, no offense, wonderful life, but nothing to suggest that an angel has to earn its place or earn its wings or anything like that. They were created for a purpose to worship and serve God and to serve humanity. It's not crystal clear, and I'll say that a few times today because it's true. It's not crystal clear in Scripture, but there appears to be some sort of 
hierarchy of angels, or at least different classes of angels. Uh, whenever there's an angel at work on earth, it's given the name angel. When there's uh, big things going on in the spiritual realm, the term archangel gets used. Michael, who we read about in our passage today, who kicks Satan out of heaven, is called an archangel in scripture, a more powerful angel. Gabriel, in church tradition, who brings the revelation of Jesus to Mary and a few others in scripture, is also called an archangel. And in church tradition as well, Satan uh, is often considered an archangel. That's where he was before he rebelled. We talked about that last week. And then there's cherubim and seraphim, and I have read authors who go into great detail about what these angels are, and I've read those authors, and I've said, that's, that's nice theory. The scripture doesn't tell us tons about them other than they exist. Uh, cherubim have wings, scripture says, and, and fly, and that's where the idea of angels with wings comes from. Seraphim uh, sit around the throne of God and guard the throne of God. They are the ones in Isaiah and Revelation who sing the song day and night, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. They lead the heavenly worship. And, and we don't know tons more than that, other than scripture seems to make these distinctions, that there are kind of different either levels in a hierarchy or at least different classes of angels for different purposes. There is some scripture, again, not crystal clear, but I think pretty clear, uh, that suggests that we do indeed have a guardian angel or angels. Uh, so wonderful life, good for you. You got that part right, potentially. The idea that there is an angel or angels who are assigned to you to protect you uh, and watch over you and, and connect you to God. Uh, there is some scriptural support for that. And so uh, that's encouraging, right? That there, is, there are not only angels on our side, but that there are some angels just for you on your side that are there looking out for you and watching out for you. They're invisible. They are spirit, scripture says, by nature. Uh, and that's what makes this whole area a bit tricky because what we can see in here is a lot more easy to comprehend than what is invisible. Uh, there's a, a spiritual side and a faith side to this that we believe that there are. And so this room, I believe, is full of angels right now, but we don't see them. Uh, sometimes in the spirit, we can maybe sense them or have a sense of them uh, with us in different stages in our life and, and different times, but uh, they're invisible by nature. But that being said, in scripture, they often do show up as human. They arrive in human form. Hebrews 13, 2 has a great challenge and encouragement. Uh, it says, do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And so the story probably in mind by the author of Hebrews was Abraham. So Abraham has three men show up at his house. Uh, they don't announce themselves like Gabriel does with an, you know, a big flourish or anything. Uh, they just show up, and he doesn't realize until the conversation's carried on quite a ways that these are divine beings sent to him with a message from God. And so be kind to everybody, Scripture says, because you don't know. Uh, that person you bumped into on the, on the road or that person that you're seeing in the store, the person you're too busy to take time for, might be a divine being and, and show that grace and hospitality as if that were the case. And so they can appear as human in form, and certainly when they show up to people in Scripture, they often take on that form. There's an element, as much as they are invisible and part of the spiritual realm, but the spiritual breaks into the physical regularly in Scripture. Uh, these are not two separate things. The spiritual world and the physical world are incredibly connected. Uh, and so even though they are invisible in spirit, that doesn't mean angels can't have an influence on our lives in the physical world. 
They are protectors. This is probably the most common uh, general understanding of angels as part of what they are here to do is keep us safe. They are here to watch over us. The psalmist said that God will set his angels over us. They will keep us from harm. And uh, certainly even outside the church, there is a, an understanding that if there are angels, they are there to protect and to guide. And so angels are there to protect us. They are also here to bring revelation. The word angel literally means messenger. That's what the word angel means. And so there are times in scripture such as Mary and Gabriel, Abraham we just talked about, where an angel comes and brings a very clear revelation from God. But beyond that, there is, a, again, just a, an understanding in church tradition and theology that the angels continue to bring revelation from heaven to us. And so when we are uh, praying for God's will to be made clear, or we're opening up our Bibles and we're looking for uh, an answer to a question, or we're praying with our family for God to, to speak to us in some way, that when those answers come, church tradition has said it is an angel who brings that, that light bulb. Uh, an angel brings that revelation, and, and it might just be a thought that comes to mind or a sense of peace that comes as to a direction, but, uh, but in church tradition, they've understood angels do that because they are bringers of the revelation of God. They bring that from heaven to earth. There's a fight in the spiritual darkness that we've been talking about. There's a fight against those powers. And we see throughout scripture, including the passage we read today, that whatever that actually looks like that we can't see, that there is a battle going on and angels come to fight for us. Uh, where the enemy has an agenda against us, angels are there to keep us safe and they are there to fight back. And Frank Peretti's book, again, really digs into that in kind of a fictional, uh, fun sort of way. And angels can be released through prayer, Jesus said. As Jesus was coming to the cross, he said, if I asked, the Father would release 12 legions of angels right now to save me from this danger. And so they can be released through prayer. And so do we pray to angels? Never. We pray to God and God alone. Uh, should we pray for angels? I would say, yeah, absolutely. Why would you not? There's heavenly forces available on your side. God is the commander of armies of angels who are there. And their sole purpose, Hebrew says, is to minister to us, to fight for us, to be on our side. So why would you not pray for angelic help and angelic protection? If Jesus needed it when he was in his body here on earth, then we are not better than Jesus. And so it can look very, very simple. Spiritual warfare always starts with prayer. So we call upon God who is stronger than anything we face. We call upon God who is the source of all power. We call upon God who is the victor already. And it can be as simple as, Father, your word promises that angels are here to be on my side. So send your angels today, Lord. Send them to protect my wife, my children, myself. Be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's at least do that part, right? If they're here to protect us, then let's at least do that part. Spiritual warfare always starts with prayer. So the other side of this is the demonic side. And again, it's very easy to get fearful here, and I'm hoping what we're doing in this series is stripping some of the fear away. Because in our passage today, it says, Michael and his angels kicked Satan and his angels out of heaven. And what I love about that is that it means that Michael, who is lower than Jesus, was still stronger than Satan. And it says in that passage, as we read, that Satan was not strong enough 
to stand up against the powers of God. And so although there is a demonic realm that's real and we want to be aware of that, we don't ever want to give too much credit to the dark side because the, the other side is so much stronger. And so when it comes to demons, again, this is an area that's not necessarily crystal clear, but we'll pull the scripture that we can. And there is a long tradition in church history that demons are angels. They were created to be angels, the good kind. And they joined with Satan, and they rebelled against God. And so we just read from Revelation 12. This is a few verses earlier than our passage today, verses 3 and 4. It says, Another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. This is a picture of Satan. It says, Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. And right in the next verses it gets into, and then there's war in heaven, and the devil and his angels get kicked out of heaven by Michael and his angels. And so, again, there's been a traditional view in church history that demons were created good, like Satan was, but given free will, like Satan was, and I won't go into all that, we did that last week, but that a, a group of the angels rebelled with Satan against God and lost their place in heaven as Satan did. And according to this passage, there's always been a picture that about a third of the angels rebelled. About a third of the angelic hosts rebelled with Satan, but they were not strong enough and they lost their place in heaven. And that's why our passage today and other passages will sometimes talk about the devil and his angels. Satan can't create anything. Only God is the creator. But these are the angels that followed him, that were deceived with him, and, and rose up against God and lost their place. And although they've lost their place, and since the cross have lost their authority, they haven't lost all of their power. They haven't lost all of their influence. And so we talked last week about how if Satan had a mission statement, it would be to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what Jesus said. That is Satan's agenda, to steal, kill, and destroy. And his angels, which we call demons now, are with him on that agenda. The agenda of the demonic armies is to steal, kill, and destroy. And sometimes in scripture we call them uh, the devil's angels. They're called demons. They're called evil spirits. They're called impure spirits. They're called unclean spirits. There's a bunch of names that they're given. They're all talking about the same thing. Like the angelic realm, it's again not crystal clear necessarily, but certainly suggested in scripture that there is also a hierarchy of sorts or at least different classes of demons. And that makes sense if there are different levels of angels and if demons are fallen angels that they would keep some of that. And so demons are what we deal with in our realm here on the earth, but the Bible talks about authorities and thrones, principalities and powers, which are apparently sort of bigger, stronger demons, just like Michael is a bigger, stronger archangel. And so we see a little bit of that in Scripture. There's nothing in Scripture that says that we should be um, rebuking or fighting against the big powers. Uh, scripture talks about us engaging with the demons in this realm and Jesus dealing with the bigger ones. Uh, so we shouldn't be going around trying to tear down, you know, demonic principalities. And, and if you don't know what that means, that's okay. Um, but we just, we want to stay in the realm of authority that we've been given. Uh, and so the scripture talks about that just in terms of the demons. What are demons up to? They can cause sickness. That's not to say that every sickness is caused by a demon necessarily, but it happens many times in Scripture uh, where Jesus is encountering something and it says there is a, uh, an, an unclean spirit that uh, made the person deaf or mute, that there was a, an unclean spirit that caused the body to be deformed. And as Jesus drives out the demon, then healing comes. And so, again, not that every sickness is caused by a demon, but it certainly can be. They're here to bring fear, and I think this is one of the biggest things that demons do, because whenever we're 
afraid, it means we've taken our eyes off God in the fullness of what we should. And we all do it. It's, it's, it's not possible to avoid it entirely. But if we really trusted in the fullness of God and everything that he is and who he is, we wouldn't be afraid ever. And yet in real life, we know that's more of a struggle than, you know, than as simply as I just said that. And so if Satan can get us afraid or worried or anxious or, or focusing on our circumstances or focusing on our sickness or focusing on whatever, he can take our eyes off God entirely. And when we take our eyes off God, our faith and our hope start to drop. And when our faith and our hope stop, start to drop, we stop praying. And when we stop praying, we stop fighting. It's a pretty good strategy if you're the devil to do everything he can to get us to take our eyes off of Jesus. And so he is there to, to bring fear to us. And if the angels come to minister us and to strengthen us, then demons are coming to do the opposite of that. And so much of spiritual warfare, it has been said, happens in this square foot of real estate right here. The battle is in the mind. The battle is where are our thoughts going because our thoughts control everything we believe and everything we do. And so if our thoughts can be messed with by the enemy, that can affect every other part of our life. My marriage can be harder. My parenting can be harder. My job can be harder. If I'm believing the wrong things, if I've got anxiety and worry going on in here, so much of the battle happens here. And we'll get a bit more into that in the weeks to come. There's a passage that says the, or the demons come to harass. And I think that's just such a great word. That's such a great word. They just come to harass. In a real army, there's a term called harassing fire. And that means if I want this side of the room to stay pinned down, I'll just shoot a bullet once in a while uh, just to keep, you, keep your heads down and keep you from going anywhere. And I'll do it every few minutes. I'll do it all night long so that you can't sleep. You're, just, you're being harassed. And it doesn't necessarily do tons of damage, but it keeps you exhausted and, and fearful and stressed out. And so it, in that sense, it does a lot of damage. It's psychological warfare more than actual warfare. And Satan's a master of psychological warfare. The war is in the mind. And so if he can harass us with fear, with doubt, with anxiety, with accusations against other people, with frustrations, with, uh, with worry about tomorrow, with doubts about God's goodness, with, with understanding of God's word, like there's just a harassment to the demonic and I think that's one of the, the clearest words uh, that scripture gives is that there's just a, a war that goes on in the mind and when you can't sleep or you're on edge or you're stressed out or the anxiety has has really taken hold uh, there's just a, a harassing factor where I can't break through it to peace I can't find that place of hope again I can't find that place of rest or faith or love or whatever I'm struggling with with that um, it talks about in scripture the fact that the spirits can come to torment um, King Saul has a story about this where an evil spirit comes and scripture says it tormented him and he's not taken over by it it doesn't seem but he's he's going into outbursts of anger and, and everything that's being said to him is getting twisted around in his head, so he's not really seeing reality. Everything's just kind of getting messed around. And so the demons can come to harass, to torment. Again, they're, they're getting into our heads. They're messing with our minds, and they certainly come to lie as well. And we're going to take a whole week just to talk about that, because I think that's one of the biggest things Satan does. If he can get me believing a lie, he can take me out of the fight entirely. And we combat that with the truth, which we'll get to in a few weeks. The demons come to release false teaching, Scripture says, that there are things that uh, get taught that are twisted. The truth gets twisted. Uh, and Scripture says such things are taught by demons. And so um, demons often look an awful lot like pastors and preachers. And so we have to be discerning as to what is good and what is not. And so with this, we see this, again, we talked about this last week, from the very beginning. 
when Satan went to tempt Adam and Eve, the nature of the temptation was, did God really say? Right? Is that what God's word really was? And last week when we talked about Satan tempting Jesus in the wilderness, it was, doesn't the scripture say this? And, and just trying to twist it a little bit to try and get Jesus off track. And so they come to release false teaching. Demons come as well to bring spiritual counterfeits. Uh, we are very wary as Christ followers of things like witchcraft and, and seances and, and even Ouija boards and things like that. And that's not to say that these things, some of them aren't just kind of parlor tricks or magic tricks where there's a very real natural explanation. Uh, because the Bible talks about there are spirits that can come and tell somebody the future. There are spirits that can come uh, and help you contact the dead. Like, that's biblical. These are real things. And so we are very wary of those types of things and just don't want to expose ourselves to them. Uh, scripture says, what fellowship does light have with darkness? We don't want to mess around with that stuff. And that's not to say, again, that some of it isn't just very logical, you know, like a magician on stage where there's just logical tricks to it uh, with physical reality. Because uh, we do believe there is a spiritual reality to some of these things as well. Maybe not everything, but some of them. And so Scripture gives us a little test of how do we know, right? How can we tell if something is good or something is of God? Test the spirits, John writes in 1 John chapter 4. So he says, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. So anything that points us to Jesus is probably good. Anything that glorifies Jesus, anything that helps us in our walk with Jesus, anything that builds fruit in our life, encourages obedience to the word in our life, these are good things. But if there's anything that pulls us away from Jesus, if there's anything that pulls away to self, um, I have encountered a fortune teller before where I went, this is demonic. This isn't just her guessing and, and making broad. Like, there's something here. And there was nothing in her that was drawing any attention to Jesus whatsoever. It was her gift. It was what she could do, uh, the powers that she had and the spirit guide that she had. And so, uh, again, we're not afraid of these things. We're aware of these things, and we just don't want to mess around with these things. And so when Scripture says, what fellowship can light have with darkness, as children of the light, we say, well, we don't want to engage with the darkness. We don't want to play games with the darkness, uh, even though we're not afraid of it. We just don't want to open that door to any way that the demonic might get into my life life. The demons come to interfere with and delay God's plan. I love this part. This is my favorite part of the message today. Story from the book of Daniel. Cool little story. Daniel is praying for an answer from heaven, and he's, he's distressed. He needs to hear from God, so he prays and he fasts, and he prays and he fasts intently for three weeks. Says no food touches his mouth, and nothing happens at all. No, no answer comes. No breakthrough happens. Nothing shifts whatsoever. And then after three weeks is done, all of a sudden, a divine being shows up in Daniel's room, like face-to-face, -face, not just sensing it in the spiritual realm, but face-to-face, -face, uh, a being arrives, and scholars debate over whether it's Jesus or whether it's an angel or, or whatever. But a divine being from heaven arrives and has this story that teaches us something about warfare and about prayer. So this divine being says, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come in response to them. So from the first day you started praying, the answer was released from heaven. I, I came there. But... The prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me for 21 days. 
So this is a, a principality that we talked about earlier. This is a, a major demonic force. And sometimes these forces are called princes in Scripture. Uh, so the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me. And then Michael, one of the chief angels, that's the same Michael that we read about today who kicked Satan out of heaven. Michael came to help me because I was today there with the prince of Persia. And now I have come to explain to you what will happen to your people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. So putting all that together... Daniel starts to pray and fast. Nothing happens for three weeks. This divine being shows up after 21 days and says, from day one, I left heaven to come down and, and bring you the answer you were looking for. Right away, the minute you started to pray, I got released. But I've been fighting my way through the spiritual realm to get here. And there was demonic resistance to the answer to your prayers. But as you prayed and as you fasted, then Michael got released and we were able to break through. And now the answer is here that you've been waiting for. It's going to change the way we look at prayer. Right? Like the answer has been on the way. And, and as you were praying and as you were fasting, you were releasing heavenly resources that you didn't even know you were doing. And now the answer has finally come. The answer is here. And so that's going to change the way we pray, the, the way we look at warfare. And man, it's a good thing he didn't stop at 19 days, right? And say, well, nothing's happening. I guess this isn't God's will, right? He kept on pushing through until the answer came. He kept on fighting until the answer came. So where Satan wants to delay and, and dismiss God's plan and get us to give up and throw in the towel, we keep praying, we keep fasting, we keep worshiping, because as we do that, God's resources come. And those who are on our side are greater than those who stand against us. And so we want to take this seriously as we pray. And that's going to change the way we pray. We're wrapping up the demonic side. The demons are scared of the God that we serve. They're scared. James 2.19 says, you believe there's one God? Great. Even the demons believe that and shudder at the thought. There's not a single encounter in the Gospels where Jesus encounters a demon that the demon doesn't go, ah, get away. They're terrified of him. And that's important for us to know and hold on to as well. I'm not scary in myself, but greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. There's nothing about me that's overly intimidating. A demon by nature is stronger than Chris Walker, but he's not stronger than the one who I am joined to and who I serve. And so when I say the demons are scared of God, they're scared of you, not you, but Christ in you they are terrified of. And so the fact that every time a demon saw Jesus, they freaked out and could not have been more terrified should be awfully encouraging to us. We should not be walking around in fear of them because Jesus has made his home right here for everyone who trusts in Jesus and is following him. And as he lives in you, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They're scared of him. They might wish us harm and have an agenda, but they got nothing on Jesus Christ our Lord. So they're scared of him. They can be pushed out, and this is key for us as well. We see this in the Gospels, obviously, that, that demons can be pushed out when they're encountered. And we don't always know necessarily if something is a demon or not, but there are just times in our life, and maybe as we went through some of those phrases, you go, I have felt harassed. I have felt tormented. I have felt that battle in my mind. I have felt uh, in my spirit. I have sensed that there was something dark or, or something happening there. And so they can be pushed out. And this is really, really good news. And so just to give you a, a really simple uh, sort of formula here, this is what I encourage. And if, you're, if you don't know about any of this or don't want to do any of this, don't worry about it. If you have questions, we would love to, to walk with you through this. 
But when it comes to actually dealing with a demon, as we said, all spiritual warfare starts with prayer. And so my thing is repent, rebuke, and replace. And so here's a short story, short example of a number of months ago, there was one night where my wife was sick and she was having a rough night and the kids were up just nightmare, 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 like over and over again. And that's pretty rare. Like that doesn't really happen that often. They were both having them. And I was tossing and turning at night and just feeling stressed and my mind was racing and I couldn't settle down. Uh, And that word harassed just felt like a good one, just felt like we were being harassed in our house. And so we start with repentance, because sometimes the enemy gets influence into our lives because we've let him. Uh, If we choose sin, if we choose selfishness, if we choose not to go God's way, then we walk into the enemy's turf in those moments, and we open up the door for us to get afflicted. So it starts with, Lord, is is there anything I've done? Is there any door that I've opened? Is there anything in my actions or in my words or in my attitude where I have have done anything like that? So I got out of bed, and I was pacing the house, and I, I started with repentance. And a couple things came to mind. And so, okay, forgive me for that, Lord. Thank you that I am forgiven. Thank you that you are with me and that you are gracious to forgive. And so we try to shut that door where the enemy might have gotten in. And then rebuke. And this is what Jesus does when he encounters a demon. It's what the apostles do when they encounter a demon. And it doesn't have to be a great big show, but it can just look something like this. Here's how I prayed that night. Now, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over any demonic thing, any unclean spirit, anything that's harassing my family, anything that's afflicting my wife, anything that is causing us to lose our peace in this house, I take authority over you, not in my authority, but in the authority of the name of Jesus, who triumphed over the powers of hell. And in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave my home now. Simple. And I've done that before, and and I have felt peace come instantly. Sometimes I've had to pray that way for an hour, I uh, just encourage you, pray till the peace comes, whatever you're, you're wrestling with. Pray until the peace comes. And then replace the last step. We don't want to just leave it there, because sometimes where the enemy has been afflicting, uh, there can be damage that's done, or, or at the very least, we just want God to come in and, and take that place. So the last part of that prayer is, now, wherever the enemy was, Holy Spirit, come and fill that place. And just push out any remaining aspect of what the enemy has been up to. Bring your healing, bring your peace, bring your joy. Just bring the fullness of who you are into every member of my family and into my home, in Jesus' name. And you ask God to just come and fill the void. And then we slept that night. We went right to bed. And that's not to say every rough night is, a, is necessarily a demonic thing, but I think the demons are at work a lot more than we realize. And so part of this is that we'll recognize and realize and know how we should pray. So repent, rebuke, and replace. The last part of the demonic thing is their end is determined already. And they know that. The rest of the passage in, in uh, Revelations 12 says that they are hurled down to the earth and Satan's anger is great because he knows that his time is short. Uh, They know the end of this game. And so that's part of the reason why they're so angry. Sometimes this question comes up, can a Christian be demon-possessed? And I don't have time to unpack this in its fullness, and maybe we'll do that another time. So my answer to it, and if you want to Google this, you'll find 150 million answers uh, of different opinions, and a lot of it's not necessarily good. So if you have any questions, please come chat with us about that. But can a Christian be demon-possessed? A lot of people uh, struggle with that word possession, right? Because there's times in the Gospels where it's 
seems like a demon has just fully kind of taken someone over and is speaking for them and moving for them. Uh, and that's kind of the exorcist, or if you've seen any of those movies, like where a demon just completely takes over a person. And so when it comes to a Christian, we'd say, yeah, it's, it's pretty hard to imagine that happening with a Christian. Um, because we are sealed by the Holy Spirit, we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's hard to imagine it kind of getting to that place. That being said, the flip side of that is, can a Christian be um, oppressed by a demon? Can a Christian be afflicted or tormented or harassed? I think the answer to that is, yeah, I think that that is common to humanity, and that's where we push back as followers of Jesus, where we say, I recognize that reality, and I'm not going to allow that reality in my life or, or in my family. And it's something also that we should be doing together. So if you feel like something might be up and you're not quite sure what to do, please come, and we'll figure this out together. So that's my answer to that question. Come on up, worship team. We're just wrapping up here. Any questions? We have an email address, questions at meadowbrook.ca, and, and people do write into us regularly, and we are happy to take the time uh, to answer stuff, to have a coffee, to talk about it. We really do understand. We can only go so far uh, in 30 or 40 minutes on a Sunday morning. We've got a couple minutes long today just because we had a lot to cover. There's a great story uh, that we're going to wrap up with, and as we, um, as, we as we meditate on angels and as we are aware of demons... There's that story we looked at earlier that said that Satan rebels and takes a third with him as he rebels. And so a third of the heavenly hosts rebel with Jesus. Now, I don't know if you guys are math whizzes or not, but if you picture the pie chart and a third have rebelled, that means two-thirds didn't, right? And two-thirds, math whizzes, is double the amount of one-third. So double are the forces that are with us than those that are against us. Double. In any fight, forgetting the fact that God is more powerful, in any fight, the army with double the numbers is probably going to win the battle. And then you add to that that Jesus is stronger and that Satan's already lost and that even Michael was stronger than Satan. Like, like double on your side. The forces that are with us are greater than the forces that are against us in every way even numerically. And there's a great story of this in 2 Kings of Elisha the prophet. And an army is coming against the people of God, and there's no way for them to fight back. They are outnumbered. The enemy is far too many. A literal army, not a spiritual army. An actual flesh and blood army is knocking at the door. The Word of God says, when the servant of the man of God got up and went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh no, my Lord, he says to the prophet Elijah, what shall we do? Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Now in the natural, that was not true. In the, in the literal numbers of physical soldiers, that was not the case. But Elisha says, those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, open his eyes, Lord, so that he may see. And then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. His eyes get opened up into the angelic realm, and the hills are flooded with God's angel armies. And a miraculous battle happens, and the enemy is routed. The forces that are with us are so much greater than the forces that are against us. 
And so as we wrap up here, we're going to worship, and we've been talking about this through the series, that, that worship is a form of prayer, and prayer and worship are always warfare because we proclaim truth and we seek God and his presence comes and pushes darkness back and we encourage one another. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me and we're going to trust that as we worship today, whatever is happening in the angelic realm, that God is going to win victories even now as we take time to worship. I hope you believe that because there is no name above Jesus. And if you don't know the promise and the hope that comes in Christ today, don't let the enemy harass you to believe that you aren't worthy of the gospel and worthy of Jesus, because you are. So walk away from the lies, come to Jesus, give your heart to him, because there's no better place to be. There's no rival against Jesus. Nothing can stand against Jesus. And I hope you're encouraged by that, you're inspired by that, because we are following, if you're a Christ believer, we are following Jesus. And that's what it's all about. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the power that comes in your name. And I pray this week we would not live in fear. We would live in the power of the risen Jesus. And we live in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that your name is above all names. That we don't need to worry and be afraid of the enemy. Because your name is powerful. Give us the strength and the faith to live in such a way that the enemy would shudder at us. Because of you, you are Jesus in our life. There's no righteousness in us, Lord. It comes through your spirit and through your power. Thank you that we can come to you in our grace and the mercy that comes in your spirit in our brokenness. So Lord, this week, show us, encourage us, help us have conversations that are gonna bring people to a better understanding of who you are. And God, that we would live in the strength that comes with you and that we can live in the power of that. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So glad you guys could be here today. If you have not met somebody here today for the first time, I encourage you to say hi to them before you leave. If you need prayer, there'll be some folks up front to pray with you. Have a great Sunday.